Let's Fix Work is proudly sponsored by Ultimate Software. Human resources, payroll, talent management, they've got it all. Please visit ultimatesoftware.com to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman. Our guest today is Kevin Cruz, founder and CEO of LeadX. Kevin is also a New York Times bestselling author of nine books. His brand new book is Great Leaders Have No Rules, Contrarian Leadership Principles to Transform Your Team and Business. Besides talking about a no rules work zone, we talk about the role of love as a leader. That's right, love. You don't actually need to like someone who works for you or with you, but you need to love them. It's smart and interesting conversations like this one that keeps me excited about doing this podcast. So if you love talking about love at work or leadership principles or no rules, sit tight for more Kevin Cruz and let's fix work. Work is broken. And so is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is picking up the pieces so you can take control of your career, put yourself first, and be your own HR. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, Kevin. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. Hey, Lori. Great to be here. Oh, man. I am so thrilled to have you here. It has been a long time coming. I have to tell you, I've been following you on the internet for what feels like a decade or maybe more. And you're one of the guys that I go to when I think about leadership. So welcome to the show. No, it's great to be here. And and again, we were talking before we started recording here. I'm a fan of your work, your rebellious nature, if I can say that. In fact, you know, most of the work I do, I try to take a contrarian angle. So it is kind of surprising we haven't spoken or done a show together until now. Today was the day. It was meant to be. I'm so <laughs> happy to have you here. And you've got a new book coming out called Great Leaders Have No Rules. I have to ask you, is that true? They have no rules? Like That, that sounds like a lie, but you tell me. You're the expert. Look, there's sometimes when a company should have some rules. Like if it's a law, you're going to have to have, you know, some OSHA regulations. You need to follow those. If there's safety, I, I was working with a client some years ago on engagement. And one of the rules is you're not allowed to listen to music with earbuds while you're on the railroad track. That's a pretty good rule. Like yeah, I'm glad they've got that sense. rule. <laughs> <laughs> and if you hire really, really bad people, like if you're just horrible at hiring, maybe rules can fence everybody in. But other than that, I think rules do more harm than good because every time I bump into a rule as an employee, as an associate, it takes away the opportunity for me to make a decision or to make a choice. And when that happens, it becomes your company, not my company. You know, I didn't have a say in this thing. When I talk about rules, I'm talking about those arbitrary ones about whether it's number of vacation days or travel expense caps, or you have to use black ink over on this area for no good reason. So this, this book just came out and this book, The Genesis, was 20 years ago. So I had sold one of my companies and the CEO, so I was going to be a vice president, a partner reporting the CEO. And he says, Kevin, we're all partners. We all get one vote. We're going to work together side by side to go to the next level. Welcome aboard. I felt great. I was totally engaged. And then 30 days later, <laughs> I get my check for my first expense report. And it was like short by four bucks. Now, Lori, four bucks isn't a lot of money, but I thought maybe I did something wrong, right? I'm the new guy, filled out the report wrong. So I asked the CFO, Don, hey, came up short. Did I do something wrong? He said, no, we don't reimburse for post-it notes. And so <laughs> I had tried to submit like $4.32 for post-it notes. They deducted it. Okay. Oh my God. So if I'm not allowed to buy post-it notes, how much like a partner in the company, how much like a VP, how much my company did it feel like? Not so much. And 
<laughs> it became what was known as the post-it note war because then another guy who'd come into the company, like kind of the same situation, he said, hey, you're never going to believe this. They shorted my expense report $3 because I was traveling. I had dinner and I ordered beer, a beer, one beer with dinner and they don't reimburse for beer. So I could have bought a $6 milkshake. They would have paid for it, but not a $3 beer. Oh man, you are making me not feel good about my old corporate jobs. I'm remembering it. I'm in the (laughs) trenches. Oh, so painful. I won't mention the the organizations you used to be with, but they were among the largest pharmaceutical company, yeah. for example. And those are the organizations that I think suffer from this the most because the rules always come from a good place. Like nobody's trying to mess with you. You know, no one's trying to wreck your day, but they're put in place to protect against like the 1% knuckleheads that might overspend or do something wrong. And by trying to protect against that 1%, you're bumming out or disengaging the 99. And I always say, you know, the rule gets in the way of relationship. It gets in the way of conversation. And when I bumped into that post-it note rule, I went to that CEO who told me I'm a partner. I, you know, we're equal and all this kind of stuff. And you know, to his credit, he didn't realize what was going on. And he said, Kevin, he says, I don't care about post-it notes. He said, one of our stated values is growth and profit. And it was literally a written value. And he's, and it, it's not that the mission was about profit, but he wanted to send this message. It's like the air we breathe. If we don't have it, then we're not going to be able to pursue our mission. And he said, people buy post-it notes and then they scribble on them as like phone pads back then, you know, it's like, just scribble when your voicemail is going off. And he says, here's what I do instead. And he picked up a bunch of pieces of paper and he ripped them in four. So it's all that extra printer paper, he would rip up into little squares and have on his desk. And he oh says- Oh my God, that's called scratch paper. I'm sorry. Scratch paper, that. there you go. And he says, it's a symbol of frugality. So he was using no post-it notes as a symbol, as a reminder, like, hey, we're cheap around here. We're frugal. Just rip up scrap paper right. like I do. Right, right. Funny thing is, he immediately got rid of the post-it note rule so people could get reimbursed for post-it notes because he didn't know it was bumming people out. But because he and I had a conversation and he linked it to a value, he explained the company values and he explained the symbols, he explained why it was important to him, he explained why all the other partners were not buying post-it notes. I never bought another post-it note even though I could have. So that's why I say great leaders, not all these, but great leaders have no rules or very few, right? Because they know that you bump it into the rule is the wrong way to do it. It's the wrong way to dress it. And and if you have less rules, but you've got the people who are ordering 10 beers when they travel and trying to reimburse it or excessive post-it notes or whatever the heck they're doing, that's a coachable moment, right? That's some effective feedback. You don't want to punish everybody. You just say, hey, Kevin, the cultural norms around here is this. You know, one beer is okay. The rest are on you. We're not, we're not paying for your happy hour, you know? So that's where all this came from was this crazy 20 years ago, this crazy post-it note rule. I love your origin story. It's very X-Men. It's like a corporate X-Men story. In general, I do love your take on leadership. And what I hear you saying and what I've heard you say in the past and what you're writing in this book is that we have a crisis in leadership that has caused some of these rules to happen. And I wonder if you can take a second and talk about that crisis of leadership that goes from the kitchen to the bed bedroom to the living room, all the way through to the boardroom, you really make the case that leadership is failing in multiple ways. So this is where people think I'm I'm weird. Like 
you talked about X-Men. Like, I think leadership is a superpower because there's all kinds of fancy definitions of leadership. If you Google definition leadership, I've got one of the longer definitions up there. But if you boil it down, I've asked John Maxwell, I've asked Ken Blanchard, like, what's leadership in a word? Everybody always says it's influence. And if you think about leadership as influence, the ability to influence yourself, self-leadership, the ability to influence and lead at home, as you mentioned, and then, of course, at work, it's a life changer. And the problem is, most people don't realize that they are influencing everybody around them. So I say leadership is not a choice because with the behavioral psychologists, they talk about social contagion. Your behaviors, if I'm around you, if I know you, even if we're not friends, your behavior impacts me. If you're a little happier, I'm a little happier. If you're down, I'm gonna be a little more down. They did a study where when someone on an airplane buys like, you know, something, you know, the stupid box of a bad sandwich for $23, (laughs) everybody else in that row is more likely to buy something as well. So we're all leading each other, even if we don't want to. The question is, are you leading towards a positive direction or a negative direction? And that's where in the book, it starts at home. I mean, there's studies done on whether you have dinner at the table with your kids four or more nights a week. So, are, you know, there's that old statement, the family that eats together stays together. And they did research, like, is this true or not? And indeed, they looked at teenagers. I've got three teens right now. So <laughs> they looked at teenagers. So if you're having dinner four or more nights a week, They're less likely to experiment with drugs in high school, to uh, have risky sexual behaviors. Their grades are, you know, all these things, you know. And so it's like, look, you're either going to go home for dinner or you're not. And no judgment. I've missed plenty of dinners, you know, over the the years. We all have these trade-offs. But you can't just not be aware of the influence that's having. I'm a divorced guy. And looking back, maybe I should have had a few more date nights on Thursday night, right? You know, so it's like you have date nights and it correlates to higher intimacy, higher quality of marriage. You miss those date nights, it's less intimacy and less marital compatibility. So you're just influencing in one direction or another. And when we're not mindful of it, well, then it's too easy to to make the wrong choices, to get caught up in the to-do list, the work that's always going to be there at work, or even at work, because I don't want to be all about the personal stuff, and just not realizing how you're affecting the team members around you. Hey, everybody. It's no secret that I love and believe in the future of human resources. More importantly, I believe in you. One way you can change the game for HR and for yourself is to focus on your continuing education. Ultimate Software sponsors free workshops around the country where HR leaders, recruiters, payroll professionals, and even consultants can earn free SHRM, HRCI, and APA credits. I've been to these Ultimate Software workshops. They're highly interactive, fun, and you'll learn a ton about the future of work and the world of HR. Visit ultimatesoftware.com forward slash LFW to learn more and to sign up for a workshop near you. That's ultimatesoftware forward slash LFW to find a workshop and earn recertification credits and stay on top of your game. That's ultimatesoftware.com forward slash LFW. And maybe I'll see you at a city near you. Kevin, when I hear you talk, you are really aligned with the philosophy of this podcast, which is we fix work by fixing ourselves. This idea of self-leadership, it's just so fascinating to me. You are offering 10 leadership principles that I'm really loving. Can we talk about a few? We don't have to talk about all 10, but I would love to cover just a few if you have some time. 
Yeah, and now we've covered a couple. Do you want me to just pick well, any or you got some? That I've got some. We covered oh. leadership is not a choice, but I Go love that. It. If we could start there, that like let's revisit that because that statement was so impactful to me. And I've heard it in various different ways. Leadership isn't a job. It's a calling. Leadership isn't a choice. What's your take on that? What do you mean by that? Let me go back to the work situation. If leadership is influence, we need to realize that, especially as a manager, as a leader, we are being watched. And it's almost like whatever we do, it's magnified, you know? And so when I've gone out and done talks or talked to people, I'm often surprised. Well, not anymore, but I used to be surprised when I would talk about the best boss and the worst boss. And I used to think, oh, the worst boss is the one that didn't coach me well or something. What I would hear is things like my worst boss... I worked for him for 10 years and he never knew the names of my kids. I worked for 10 years. He'd walk in every morning and never said good morning. It's like this personal stuff. And so that's why I say you're influencing the people. They're going to be more engaged or less engaged. So you have a choice. You walk down that hallway. Are you going to put your head up high with great eye contact and a smile and say good morning? I used to be a horrible boss when I was in my 20s. Put my head down and like jog to the next meeting and be thinking about all the stuff I've got to do. I wasn't being rude on purpose. It was like I was so task-oriented. I was just focused on getting the next thing done, and I wasn't aware of the negative impact I was having around everyone else, either making them crazy or they just thought I was rude and mean and, and didn't care about them. Well, let's talk about two of your other leadership principles because there's an interesting dichotomy there where you talk about leadership being a choice and being out there and choosing your attitude and being positive. And yet two of your principles are close your open door policy (laughs) and covet your calendar. How do you square that circle? Yeah, how do you square that circle? Well, so let's talk about open door policy. Of course, these days, it's a metaphor because not everybody has an office with a door. So Uh, um, yeah, those days are gone. Those days are gone. (laughs) Again, these old contrarian principles that I was sort of taught as like gospel or you just assumed it was true, they come from a good place. So close your open door or the open door policy itself. It's like, hey, facilitate communication. You cut red tape. You go around your boss. You go up a level. You know, what's wrong with all of that? This day and age, what's wrong is, first of all, the manager, we can't get any work done. We can't get any deep work done or focused work done. In a previous book, I did survey research on the number one complaints about why can't you get more done at work? And that dreaded, got a minute? (laughs) The got a minute meetings was the number one complaint, like wrecks their day. And of course, it's never a minute or they're they're just, they they lie to you, right? (laughs) Got a minute is 15 Or they don't know. They just don't know. Nobody's ever aware of what they're doing at work anyway. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they don't realize. So in this day and age, we are starved to get into the flow for that deep work, strategic work, creative work, which is getting more and more important. So that's one problem. But You know, Marshall Goldsmith, executive coach, he's written about the other side of the problem, which is if all your team members are coming through your door with unannounced questions and issues, something's wrong. Like you either hired the wrong people or you failed to train them properly or you failed to create a culture of psychological safety. Like they're not willing to try something and have it not work out. They're not willing to try to answer and figure it out on their own. And so when you've got that full open door policy, you're answering questions and all that, you're maintaining, it's not just power, but like you're the hero. You're the guy who's the the, the person, I should say, who's solving everything. Your job as a leader is to make them the hero, right? So sometimes that's like, hey, get out of the nest, go do it yourself and it'll be okay. You know, whatever happens, it'll be okay. 
I mean, instead of just closing the door, you know, I say that there's better ways to do it. So I say like, close the door, open your calendar. Maybe you have office hours. And I don't know, maybe your office hours is every single day after lunch, or maybe it's just Fridays or whatever it might be. But let people know, hey, if that door's closed, it's because I'm doing deep work. And these are the times when I am available. You open your calendar, but you also covet it. Do you covet it to protect that focus time, that monotasking time? Yeah, that we, time I say crowd, crowd that calendar because the other thing I learned from that previous research, most highly successful executives, highly successful people, they don't actually operate from a to-do list. The idea of like, huh, I've got... 15 minutes of free time, like find that piece of paper and all that kind of stuff. No, they know what their day looks like when they start the day. And so the idea is to crowd your calendar, whether it's open office times, whether it's deep focus times, whether it's one-on-one meetings, every minute counts and the best leaders are allocating their minutes. If you value one-on-one meetings, you're going to schedule them every Monday from now to the indefinite. If you value growing and coaching your team members, schedule a recurring every six-month career path meeting from now to indefinite. So really place that focus on the calendar and invest your minutes. I love that advice. Another kind of counterintuitive principle that you have around leadership is to play favorites. Now, that can be dangerous in this era of lawyers and litigants. Tell us what you mean by play favorites as a leadership tenant. Yeah, so playing favorites is different than favoritism. Like we certainly don't want to break laws or ethics around favoritism for the wrong reasons. I open my eyes. I'm not a big sports guy, but the there's this famous John Wooden basketball coach, might be the most famous coach ever. He's famous because I know who he is. And we will include this <laughs> in the show notes for those of you who don't. So <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much anybody who's around sports would know yeah. would know who he is. I'm learning more about him all the time. So, you know, he said the most unfair thing you could do is to treat everybody the same. Because the reality is great leaders will individualize their leadership. I'll know that Lori is motivated because, and I have a feeling this isn't true, but I'll just say like, she's very competitive. So I'm going to give her opportunities to compete against other people. But then Christine over here, she's motivated by other things, you know? And so you want to personalize your leadership approach and you do want to reward your star performers. A classic mistake is the manager who thinks like, oh, I've got 10 people and Kevin over here, he's the bottom of the 10. I really got to help him. I got to coach him. I got to watch him. I got to spend time with him. No, you're diluting your leadership power on your worst performer. You actually want to invest in your top performers And not ignore your bottom ones, but you want to get more and leverage the stars that are going to keep going higher. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I'm currently working with an HR leader who does have that person on her team who is struggling and she's working with that person, spending extra hours, spending extra time, really investing in that individual. And her position is, I owe it to this individual to Mm. help her out. What would you say to that person who wants to help out the least performing member of their team? What could they do for that individual? Because what you're saying is, don't necessarily pour your heart and soul into that person. What's the alternative? So I think it's going to be to what degree do you help them? You know, and I'm a big believer that most of success at work is, is it the right match? Are they in the right role? So maybe it's a lesson about, hmm, how did we screen this person? Do we need to do more pre-employment assessments or whatever it is? If they're still a fit, if you think they're a fit, 
then make sure they've got that training and that coaching. But I wouldn't overinvest in them. Yeah. For, for me, yeah. you know, over the years, I'm a creature of habit. So like everybody on my team gets a one-on-one meeting once a week. Everybody on my team gets a career path meeting every three to six months. Everybody on my team has gone through a certain personality assessment before they join the company. So it's not like anybody's getting ignored, but I'm not going to give the precious minutes to the bottom performers that could be going elsewhere. I'm kind of hard on this though. I'm an entrepreneur. I'd be curious with your HR background. You might really disagree. I do often think though that over-investing in someone is harming them. Like often they know they're not fit for the role. They're not going home feeling happy about work and I'm doing so good and this is just great. They know something's wrong. And so at a certain point by like, hey, I really don't think this is going to work out, but we'll give it another six months. You might be better off like with compassion, easing them into a different position in the company if you can do that or saying, hey, I don't know this is working out. How can I help you to find your next great opportunity. Yes, it's called giving someone a gift. <laughs> so I've done this many times but in my career. But, but everybody thinks that that's just like, uh, you know, that's, you know, but it's true. It is. It's 100% a gift. And I also believe in helping the individual fix work by fixing themselves. If they're yeah. not performing, it's about working with that individual to self-identify and have an opportunity to look inward and be reflective and understand what's going on. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with work and everything to do with like family of origin trauma or, or whatever. You know, they've got stuff going on at home. So a lot of complexities, Kevin. But one of the key themes here is this key theme of love. And that emerges in your book over and over again. And so I would love to talk about your perspective that leaders must lead with love. Tell us more about that. It's a pretty dangerous time to be writing and talking about you should love everybody at work. (laughs) Well, yeah. the, (laughs) The first draft of this book was done over two years ago, like before Me Too was really you know, out there. Oh, but, nice. But it fits. And, and of course, I'm not talking about romantic love or love that's going to get anybody in trouble. What I'm talking about is like a love for fellow humankind. If you look at one of the common themes in all the great world religions, it goes back to loving strangers, loving your neighbor, treat others as you would like to be treated. And I hate... To, I'm going back to John Wooden a second time. I'm going to have to like come up with more examples here. But... He used to kick off his practice every year. He was a college coach, so you get new players. And so he'd have this little orientation and he would say, I'm not going to like you all the same. Some of you I might, not, I might not like at all, but I will love you all the same. And it's this interesting idea of you don't actually need to like someone to love them. And it sounds weird at first, but even with our you know, crazy teenagers or whoever it is, you can realize like, you know what? Like they're, the way they're behaving today or this year... <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah. You know, it's it's (laughs) triggering and it's crazy and I don't like hanging out with them, but you still love them the same. And you can understand where they're coming from. And a teenager's like, okay, it's hormones or peer pressure or whatever it is. And at work, it's hard, but I think you could have people on your team, you could be leading people on your team who are generally, it's like opposite of your personality trait. So I'm an introvert, they're an extrovert. I'm high conscientious, they're low conscientiousness. And if you don't understand that, it's easy to just say like, they're different and weird and have a problem and I'm great, right? When you understand personality a little bit, then it's like, okay, we're just opposites. And my high conscientiousness means sometimes I'm a perfectionist and their bad conscientiousness, you know, means they're a big picture thinker though. You know, so there's pros and cons to the styles and to recognize like, okay, I don't have to like the person 
we don't have to really gel, but I can still love them and want them to succeed and try to help them to get to a better place. So what if you're a leader and you don't love your people? I mean, that is a real serious problem, I think, and part of the crisis of leadership that we have going on right now. What do you have to say to someone who's showing up at work and they're in a leadership role, but they don't love their people? Well, it's, it is such a problem. And I think it gets to, for now, I mean, it's been around with like servant leadership and all the rest because there's still so many people out there that are rising in the ranks of leadership positions because they want the title. They yeah. want more money. They are thinking about their career. And that's, you know, if I had to boil down like love your team members, it really is just saying like you're putting their needs ahead of your own, but not too many people are doing it. And I don't know how you get somebody to realize that. I mean, other than like they're going to end up in a place where they can't get any higher because they didn't bring people with them, or they're going to succeed and feel really lonely and empty. It's just so much more fun when you've got love and friends and you've got this journey with so many other people. But I don't know how you communicate that. I don't know how you change people who haven't done it already. One of the ways that we can change them is maybe pass along your book, Kevin. And as we wrap (laughs) up our conversation on that note, I would love for you to tell our listeners maybe one thing that might surprise them from your book, one thing they might be curious about, or one thing that maybe they're not going to read anywhere else. I'll just end with it. I mean, the whole thing is contrarian ideas. And so this idea of like, don't use a to-do list and only live from your calendar shocks most people. Closing your open door shocks most people. But if I could give somebody who might even be skeptical of this no rules idea, like, please do one thing. It's like, okay, even if you have rules, you have teenagers who have a curfew. Most of us had curfews. That's not such a wacky thing. However, my kids don't have curfews, a whole nother conversation. But even if you think curfews are a good thing, at least have the conversation with your teenagers about it, with your family. Hey, why do you think the curfew's in place? Why do you think I do that? You know, do you think it's because I'm just like messing with your weekend plans? Or is it because I really love you and worry about you and I can't fall asleep if you're not home yet, right? So have a conversation about the rules that you have in your household, you know, whether it's a curfew, put your shoes in the mudroom and not in the living room. Whatever it is, just ask, why do you think the rules are in place? How do you feel about the rules? And then the rule will be strengthened because of the conversation and the relationship. I love that. And I think my parents had curfews because they just wanted to torture me, but (laughs) it's probably not true. (laughs) I would imagine they really cared about me, but it just came out that way. Well, Kevin, it was really great to connect with you today. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, how they can connect with you, where your book is going to be plastered, all that kind of good stuff. (laughs) Great Leaders Have No Rules, available in uh, bookstores everywhere. And of course, amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com. I'd love to talk with uh, your listeners and keep the conversation going. They can email me. I'm at kevin at leadx, L-E-A-D-X dot O-R-G, leadx.org. And I'm on all the social media as Kevin Cruz. Kevin, thanks so much for being a guest on Let's Fix Work. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back right after the break with more Let's Fix Work. All executives need to be podcasting. Podcasts are the number one way for executives to create an authentic and trusting relationship with employees and potential customers. That's why my producer, Danny Osmond, just did a three-part series on why executives should be podcasting. 
Want to give your company a brand or a face? Want to connect with current or future employees? Are you interested in pivoting out of your current position and into a new career or personal brand? Well, if you're an executive who is podcast curious, head on over to dannyosmond.com forward slash executives and learn how a podcast builds credibility how podcasting gives you a leg up against the competition, and how a podcast can power a speaking career and help you write a book. Don't worry about finding the time to listen. Each episode is less than 10 minutes, and Danny has put all three episodes in one place. Head on over to dannyosmond.com forward slash executives to listen and find more resources. That's dannyosmond.com forward slash executives. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kevin Cruz. I would encourage you to check out the show notes, follow his links, and make sure you pick up a copy of Great Leaders Have No Rules. One of the rules that I have for Let's Fix Work is that I will absolutely read your feedback if it's interesting and it's funny and it's sincere. So if you have feedback for me, and I know you do because I get it every week, hit me up at hello at letsfixwork.com. Let's Fix Work is produced by Danny Osmond of Emerald City Productions. Every week I tell you he's based in Nashville, but guess what? He's relocating to Orlando, Florida. And if you live in Orlando or in Florida, or you're just curious about podcasting, make sure you hit up Danny and ask him any questions. He's super helpful and super friendly. I also want to give a shout out to Ultimate Software. They are phenomenal sponsors. They've been great partners. And make sure you head to ultimatesoftware.com forward slash LFW for information on HR workshops and resources. Now that's all for today. And I really hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next week on Let's Fix Work. If you're ready to make a real change in your workplace, start today by number one, subscribing to Let's Fix Work on the Apple Podcasts app or iTunes or Stitcher or Android or wherever you listen. Number two, write a five-star rating and review. And number three, share it with a friend, colleague, or coworker who you think would enjoy our episodes.